filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. weekend here in Richmond, Virginia, and I know we start so many of these episodes with the word so, so, uh, so. I don't care, so, uh, yeah, we went to a park called uh, Meadow Crump Farm Park here in Virginia, it is a ye olden timey uh, farm. So it is, is not preserved. an open field with a particular there... variant of hip-hop dancing happening there. No, but there is an open field. But the open field was mostly consisting of me and my friend playing Frisbee, or, well, not playing Frisbee, throwing a Frisbee around, and uh, children playing a weird game that involved a tennis ball that I had no idea how it worked or any at any inclination of what was happening. Right, it was, I, it I was have children. questions, but... It was children with a tennis ball. There's probably 10 to 15 of them, and... It involved, like, a ball going up in the air, people hitting each other with the ball. I have no idea anything what was happening. Ben, that was just Australian rules football. <laughs> That's what that was. It's possible, but, I mean, it was a tennis ball and not anything else. Was it hot? Well, no, I mean, you got to make the kids running back and forth between two points? No, this was all, like, within the space of, like, no, no one left, like, 25 feet of space. They were oh, all in like, okay. a very small amount of space. And that is very much not Australian News Football, which yes. is played on a gigantic surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. No, this was very tight, very well-contained, which just added to my confusion. I would like to go back to my question from earlier. Sure. Nobody was crumping on this field. Neither you, nor any of the children, nor anyone else. No cows were crumping. Since I don't know what that means, I, I, I'll say no and show my ignorance. Um... It's it's a type of hip hop. If if like, you don't know what crumping is, there's a uh, an end to the show Community's first season yes. in which three of the characters okay. uh, debate what crump. is crumping, and each one shows what they believe to be crumping. Uh, that's probably the best thing to do. Is look okay. that up. That is my second favorite crumping memory. Is the, the ending the... of that episode of Community. My first favorite crumping memory is from a few years ago, around this time of year, just before tax day. Um, driving up Georgia Avenue in the district and outside of a Liberty tax uh, services building uh, where they always have the people dressed up as the statue of Liberty because it's Liberty tax. Get it. Uh, This particular statue of Liberty was crumping on the sidewalk on Georgia Avenue. It was incredible. Okay. It was it was very that wonderful. Sounds pretty there was go go music playing and crumping. It was great. Well, it was it was DC, so I, I assume everything that happens in DC is uh, to a soundtrack of go go music. That's it's especially true. true on George Avenue, or like late eighties punk, depending on where you are in That's DC. It's one true. or the other. It would be early eighties, since okay. I'm I'm sorry, I got yeah. my punk dates wrong. Yes, it's very do better, Ben Bromley. <laughs> Learn how to crump and do better. Punk didn't get to Ohio until, like, 1999. 
That's a Which shame. Which is funny because Green Day was early 90s. Yeah. Green Day is not Ohio. It all went downhill from there. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster. The Black and Red United and many other from things me? podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and a whole lot more. Tonight, we're talking about DC United front to back. We're going to talk about the 2-1 win over the Pigeons of New York City FC. And we are going to talk about the upcoming game against the Metros, Red Bull New York, New Jersey, whatever you want to call them. DC United is New heading York, up New to New Jersey Metro them. Stars. Yes. Whatever you call them, DC United. Harrison Energy Drink Concern. Like I said... Whatever you call them, DC United is playing them in New Jersey. Jerks. That that's the best <laughs> one of the bunch. Good work, Bromley. Close out strong. They're playing this weekend, DC United against them. We're gonna talk to a good friend of ours, Jason Iapico, uh, about that game. Before we do anything though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? First of all, I'm going to use my story time to instead uh, advocate that you read the extensive Washington Spirit coverage we have coming this this week. It'll be a lot of stuff. Read all of it, please. Uh, what I am drinking is DC Browse the Public uh, Pale Ale. Flagship beer. And you're drinking it in a what appears to be a Natty Bow glass. Uh, yes, it's Mr. Bow is the only thing on the glass, and I'm using my Maryland koozie to prevent the loud sound of a glass hitting the desk. Maryland Uberalis. Well, it is a DC beer, so I can't I can't go that far. Um, I saw okay. I saw a tweet this weekend. Um, congratulations! There's actually the screenshot of a tweet on Facebook because Double social media is is weird. But it reminded me very much of Jason. It said, "All I want in life is for someone to love me as much as people from Maryland love being from Maryland." That's fair. And I thought of Jason Anderson. That's cool. Yeah. Ben, what are you drinking? To actually, fill that goal though. <laughs> it's tough. It's a high bar. Yeah. So I am drinking uh, Champion Brewing Company's Violator Doppelbach. Uh, Champion Brewing is a uh, brewery out of Charlottesville, Virginia, but they recently opened a Richmond location, which is, I counted it recently, literally under a hundred steps from my office and they sell beers, uh, not only in growlers, but they sell a wide variety of canned, uh, beer, both, uh, their regular flagship beers and their seasonals. And for a much better price than the normal grocery store, convenience store, etc., sell them for. So this is one of their seasonals. I love a good Doppelbach. I know it's a lager, but Doppelbachs are great. And if you don't like Doppelbachs, then, uh, I don't want to hear your opinion about beer or pretty much anything. So, um, yeah, it's it's good. Uh, DC United won their second straight game last week. Uh, what are you after drinking? I'm getting there. Okay, okay. DC United won their second straight game. Uh, before that, the USA won uh, their game immediately after we recorded. In all three of our episodes preceding those games, I had a shrub to drink. I'm not sure. taking credit for what's happened on the field. But I am is. not unsuperstitious, and so I am continuing the trend uh, by drinking another blueberry shrub tonight. This time with the fourth different spirit I've used. Uh, I'm back to a type of whiskey this week, but it is a blended malt whiskey. Um, 
it's not scotch because it's from Kentucky, but it's in the style of scotch. Uh, so it's got a little bit more smoke to it uh, than than bourbon or rye does, and so it's got got a, a really different kind of quality to it. It's it's not bad at all. I had my first non-alcoholic shrub from a DC restaurant that has expanded and opened locations here in Richmond. So I found that very appropriate and thought of you. Excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm liking this particular streak of good results, forcing me to drink the same drink over and over. Uh, Rather I'm liking than this one vodka, a lot better. I'm liking rum. this particular streak of positive results a lot better than last year when I had to drink rum over and over. This is way better, so much better. I'm so much happier. Just give it time. Just give it time, Taylor. <laughs> Lloyd Sam and Lucho Acosta provided the offense as DC United got some measure of redemption Saturday with a 2-1 win mm. over visiting New York City FC. Uh, what a difference a few weeks can make, Ben. Uh, just last month, DC United went up to Yankee Stadium and got run out for nothing. And this time, yeah. even though NYC had a lot of the ball, um, they they didn't create that much real danger until very late when they threw everybody forward. And DC United, you know, got their two goals and and made them stand up. Yeah, it, it's. It was basically a team-wide, much better performance from DC United. You can't even point at one or two or three things like I was trying to ponder about uh, in the in the pre-show uh, rundown. But it, it wasn't just a few things. It was it was everything. It was the wingers played better, both Patrick Niarco and especially Lloyd Sam. It was the central midfield played better with uh, Lucho Acosta there and with uh, Jared Jeffrey uh, playing well. It was the defense playing better. It was Bobby Boswell and Steve Birnbaum. So it was just an up and down better performance. It was not on the tiny uh, dime of a field that they call soccer in uh, in the Bronx up there at Yankee Stadium. And yeah, it, it was it, and it's slowly getting more and more closer to what we expected DC United to do at the beginning of the season. Uh they, it, they're not going to be the high-flying, score-at-will team that we saw at the end of the year all the time, but they're getting closer and closer to that team, and I think they can reach those heights more more than not as the season goes on. Jason, one thing that, that I was curious about, uh, Patrick Vieira ran NYCFC out in a a different formation than where we're, we, at least then was listed on the the website and that we saw at Yankee Stadium. This was what a three-five-two with Rodney Wallace nominally playing as a forward. Yeah, I'd even I'd even go so far as to call it uh, three-four-two-one uh, with Wallace and Morales both kind of dropping off via. Um, but yeah, definitely I mean, not. That, that's a very similar formation that Columbus came into RFK and got a result, got right. a two-nothing win with. Do you think that influenced Vieira at all? He didn't really change his style of play it wasn't like the playoffs last year where Vieira you know ditched his build out of the back ethos but it, it was a different look from them anyway and I wonder wonder how much of that was because of he, he saw that result that Columbus got how much was it tailored to DC United versus just trying out something new uh, I do wonder if if he might have been influenced by Columbus in terms of 
um, their team shape, but NYCFC came with a different intention from the crew. Um, the crew came to sit deep and play on the counter. Um, they sat in that 3-4-3. They just tried to defend from midfield only. Uh, there was no attempt to high press. NYCFC played a much more open game. Um, they wanted to press. They wanted to have more of the ball. Um, they wanted to make the game maybe a little more up-tempo. Um, so maybe in terms of some vague notions of shape being, um, you know, maybe able to cluster an extra man around Jared Jeffrey and uh, intensify the pressure on him to, to deliver, that might have been part of it. But I, I think, I don't, I don't know that there was a major influence from what they saw against Columbus. I also feel like they probably knew enough to know that they weren't going to be playing uh, a United side in the same sort of rut that they were against the crew. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I am curious about what Vieira, uh, what his thought process was, because um, part of it was just to get, it almost seemed like they wanted to get extra numbers uh, through the middle rather than anything else. It was just a chance to get, um, you know, a 4v3 in central midfield and maybe keep the game there, because one thing United did in uh, the game against Philly was spread the game wide uh, pretty early a lot. And maybe, maybe Vieira was thinking that if he can keep the game down the middle more often, then United's wingers won't be able to get as involved, which didn't, I mean, it's a, it's a decent plan, but it didn't really work because I think Lloyd Sam ended up being second to Lucho on, uh, key passes on the night. And, um, it looks like three of United's key passes were from wide out of like eight. So. Um, it didn't really and at the same time, NYC actually was forced wide and just sent in cross after cross after cross that right. Mo- almost all Burnham of which did not work. Yeah. Um, I, I think the number was they had 14% completed, uh, well, crosses. They had from open play. They had one, according to MLS's chalkboard, they had one. Um, and I don't, it would take me a while to count the number of red squares, uh, <laughs> For unsuccessful crosses from open play, I saw, so, I saw someone online that I trust say fourteen percent. All right, I mean fourteen percent might even be generous, might even be a little high. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that's ideal against. I mean, look, David Villa is five foot seven. He's fast. He's small. He wants to be on the. He wants the ball to be on the ground. Um, Maxi Morales is like five three or five four. Um, Rodney Wallace is pretty good in the air, but he's not so good in the air that you would just be happy to be pumping in crosses. They right, don't want to play like that. Unmarked back post run. That's right. where he scores his headers. And, and NYCFC doesn't, they have a commitment to not play like that. They're not mm-hmm. more pragmatic where they say, okay, that's what we're being given. Then we'll take it. Um, they are much more of a, we want to play a certain way. We want to create a certain kind of chance. And when you're restricting them to just dumping in that many crosses, you're doing something right. One of the players who got a lot right on the defensive end was Bobby Boswell. Um, second game in a row where the defense looked a lot better for, you know, 85 minutes. Uh, a couple of close calls and uh, one goal conceded, notwithstanding. Uh, Burnbaum looked better in this game than he, he had before last week. And, and Boswell got himself onto MLS's team of the week with his second uh, start, which happened to coincide with DC United's second straight win. Uh, it's kind of like he's playing like it's 2014, both for good and ill. He looks uh, like a capable defender. And 2014, he finished runner-up in Defender of the Year voting. But I saw a lot of, or at least a few, pretty noticeable uh, screw it, I'm going to kick the ball long moments when he had a short passing option if he was just willing to 
be brave and take it. He wasn't under that much pressure. He was just in a mindset where he had to get rid of it. Um, I think that might have been part of why DC United didn't have as much possession as they might have liked in this game. But all in all, it worked out. Um, but I wanted to flag the... the uh, what we're running into with, with Boswell and, and with Kemp uh, all season for Kemp, uh, this has been a concern of mine, it's very easy to filter United towards one side of the field knowing that you're going to get them to play lower percentage passes. And those um, are the two guys these, do it. Right. These are the passing percentages going from right to left. Nick DeLeon had 80% pass completion. Steve Burnham had 85.7. Bobby Boswell had 57.7. Taylor Kemp had 61.5. Um I... So I'm making the grimace emoji and, face and Burnbaum only attempted seven passes. Um, so <sighs> there's a clear benefit to opposing teams to structure themselves, to push United towards Boswell and camp on the ball and then have them go long and win the header and focus on the second ball and just have, um, you know, build your possession from that. And we're definitely going to see it this weekend. Um, the Red Bulls, build around pressure anyway and they're certainly going to want the ball on that side of the field more often than not um and, and that's you know, where you start to understand why sean franklin was yes the the opening day starter yeah I, I i think if you understand dc united and understand what they're trying to do you you understand why sean franklin was the opening day starter and it's just it, it it's a, going to be interesting to see how long Bobby Boswell was able to keep up this level of performance because we saw last year that he, we I don't think he can keep it up over a full season. So it's it's definitely something that's not going to last the entire season, and it's going to be Ben Olson is going to have to make some more decisions down the road about what to do with the partner for Steve Birdbaum. Yeah, and, and I'm sure part of that was influenced just by um, Olson knowing from playing in, in MLS and, and the years that United has done well under him, um, you have to get points early. You have to get oh, going yeah. early. Um, I mean, you don't have to be great. You don't have to be on 13, 14 points uh, at this point of the year. But you do, need, you do need to get to like seven, eight. I mean, you need to get up. You need to get a couple wins in those first games just to not start to have those questions linger around the whole squad. And then you're having to pick up morale more than um, – coach your team up and, and refine the little edges. You're just trying to get the players to believe again, um, which might be a problem for teams like, you know, Montreal. Um, RSL started to believe a little bit. The Granted, they got to play Minnesota, so that's nice for and, everybody. And um, they got to fire their coach and get a new one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I think part of the, I mean, if if United were had won some games and played badly at the back anyway, I feel like Franklin probably would have stayed in and they just would have taken their out. Yeah taking their punches. Um, but the fact that the record was what it was and they had, you know, two home games coming up where it was going to be, you know, for the rest of the season, they've now got uh, 16 road games, 13 at home left. Um, they had to get two wins and it became a fine, you know, the games might not be the prettiest. We might be a little ugly, a little predictable, but we, you know, we find a way to scratch out a win and then maybe down the road, we can start building towards that idea of being, more secure passing out of the back and thus able to control games a little more. Yeah. So part of the reason with Sean Franklin and the wins weren't coming was that the defense was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. The expected goals yeah. for that was bad. The expected goals on offense were a little better, but the goals weren't going in. 
Yes. The goals are starting to go in now. Um, and the chances are starting to yield better possibilities, better expected goals. That Ian Harks uh, save uh, late in the game. Uh, Sean Johnson got to an on-rushing or, or shot from an on-rushing Ian Harks on a counter. Um, Lloyd Sam had as close to a one expected goal of one for his his goal on the takeaway that led to the first goal. Uh, Lucho <laughs> has now scored twice. Um, so we're starting to see some some better stuff. Ben, do you think the offense has started to find its groove, or or could we see uh, a bit of a backslide against? the high pressure team that, that they're going to be facing next week. Oh, no. I, I mean, I think it's definitely started to find at least, I wouldn't say a groove, but it's definitely started to find something. So they're definitely playing better. Lucho is the key to everything. And he's starting to gain more and more confidence. Uh, just his whole sequence on his goal is worth watching and breaking down. And if you just watch the, uh, highlights or even the extended highlights you're not going to see his full uh contribution to that goal but uh i know it's on the full mls live i think dc united posted a on twitter the the whole sequence of it and just watching him uh dispossess uh new york uh new york city in the midfield i think it was was it pirlo i think it was pirlo yeah it was pirlo uh just watching him dispossess pirlo make the run forward make the pass uh uh, battle a little bit and then be there for the rebound uh, off of Sean Johnson, which Sean Johnson should not have let that rebound off of him. Uh, I mean, Lloyd Sam did really well to put the ball far post and on frame, which yeah. is exactly what you do in that situation because that is how you force a rebound. No, I know, but if, by if, doing those two things, if Sean Johnson were as good as the hype uh, claimed he was, which we all know here in DC that he isn't. But if he was as good as the hype said he was, that wouldn't have been a rebound. But for what he is, an MLS average goalkeeper, uh, yeah, that, that that makes sense. And Lloyd Sam did a great job. Oh, yeah, Lloyd Sam did a great job. And then uh, Acosta did an even better job to uh, make that run, uh, angle that ball just inside the post. And uh, yeah, and I couldn't tell from the replays. Did the he nutmeg the defender on that half volley? To put it away? I don't think so. What? The, Adam, I couldn't understand you. Uh, it looked like his shot actually went through defender's legs on its way into the goal. It looked like that might have been a nutmeg goal uh, from, from at least so. one angle. But I don't, I don't um, think so. Not, okay. But um, the, even, even with that, that was really my second favorite sequence of the game from Lucho Acosta. The one where he dribbles like six guys and gets an open shot off. Oh, he, yeah. he sends it into orbit, but mm. he he beat Pirlo a couple of times on that play. Was it was pretty phenomenal, close control, and it was really fun to watch. I mean, the 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 main thing with the offense for me is that the chances are they're generating easier chances. They haven't scored a good looking mm-hmm. goal this season. Uh, even except with, for the Lloyd Sam one that was called back, right. Um, I mean, even the Lucho goal required, um, you know, following up a rebound, but that's kind of the point. Good teams, effective offenses don't just score pretty goals. They score some trash goals. And we've talked in the preseason about how a lot of United's goals were pretty nice looking goals. And that was really fun, but it would also be nice to see some, you know, guy finishes off a rebound or, um, in the case of Lloyd Sam's goal that did count, um, pressuring somebody by, by yourself, a one man press should never make this problem, this happen. And instead, it becomes an easy goal-scoring chance that he converted. 
Um, those are good signs, you know, Ortiz's goal, uh, last week. I, I will say, I thought that that was going in anyway. I don't think Blake makes that save. Um, the def- I don't think the deflection changed that going in, uh, at all. Um, but the point is it was kind of a scrappy goal through a crowd. It wasn't, you know, this brilliant finish. It was just firing it low on frame and, and it getting in. Um, so now United has four, you know, three trash goals, more or less, and a penalty kick. Um, but that's good. That means that things are working because if you keep scoring, if you keep creating trash goals and keep finishing them, the good goals, the pretty goals are going to come too. And then all of a sudden you're looking at three or four goals in a game. Um, but you and don't yeah, get then there. You're looking to the end right, of then you're last backward. year. Right. And that's how United was. They had plenty of really beautiful goals, but they also had plenty of like Patrick Mullins prodding it over the line from a yard out. Um, and if you get that mix, you're going to be scoring a lot of goals. You're going to be, um, I mean, look at Portland, for example, and they, I think they're on 16 goals already, but a lot of them have just been like close range headers or, you know, a guy finishes a rebound or, uh, Fernando Adi is in behind everybody and just has to sort of get around the goalkeeper and roll it into an empty net. They've scored um, a lot of goals on late game counters. It seems yes. like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, that sounds familiar to me. Um, yeah. that's how that you pound those like, stats. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the and, fact and that United, United did last year, of course, but, but the fact that United has, you know, two goals in two straight games is a good start. And the fact that the goals weren't requiring someone to do something spectacular is it means that you can replicate that, uh, in a pattern. You don't just have to re- be like, well, I hope Lucho does something, uh, amazing because otherwise I don't know where the goals are going to come from. Instead, it's like, oh, good. The goals are going to come because United's putting teams in such bad positions that eventually, something breaks loose. Now, yeah, you get lucky with um, Sam's goal um, and the, the field maybe playing a, a, a factor in that. I thought the field actually looked significantly improved oh, from yeah. uh, previous weeks, um, but still, I mean, I, that bobble and doesn't also, happen. What, and what Frederick Brilliant, just putting putting uh, Chano in that position. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was Chano and Briant both sort of looking at each other like, what do you want to do? And Briant was like, I don't know. And Sam just sort of walked away with the ball. He said, um, I know. Yeah, it's like, I got it, guys. Don't worry. Like, I'm oh, sure, cool. I'm, someone's got someone's got in the situation. Oh, it's a guy from the other team. Um, I'm sure Ethan White was on the bench just like screaming internally. Yeah, that's, a, that's a weird situation for them because, I mean, I always thought that White's best position would probably be the right side of a back three. Um, right. And yet... With them moving to a back three, he lost his spot. Whereas when they play with a right back, a, a full, a traditional fullback, they prefer him. So I'm sure Vieira has his reasons. He's not dumb. Um, it's just sort of a curious thing that that maybe looking back he might regret because Briant made an error that arguably cost them. Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure United actually goes on to get a win in this one. No, if probably, not for that probably not. Um, which kind of comes back to. You know, yes, they're getting in the right direction. They've got, you know, maybe they've got their feet under them a little bit, but there's still plenty of work to be done. This was, uh, I mean, what is, what is it, sixty six percent passing accuracy as a team? Yeah, pretty bad. Um, that's not good. Um, I mean, I will say that they did, you know, they kind of embraced the the ugly a little bit after halftime. Um, when you know the end of the first half, of the game sort of got away from them, and they sort of steered into the turn and came out uh, on the right end of it because NYCFC ends up playing, like we said before, a ton of crosses into the box. They, they got away. They, United managed to get them away from their game too. Um, and so even though it wasn't the prettiest, um, they managed to find a way to get their opponent to leave what they're good at and play something United's a little better at. And um, I noticed a lot of people, a lot of non-DC pundits, a lot of observers 
noting that Olsen got this one right. Even though it wasn't beautiful, uh, he managed to outfox Patrick Fiera. And a lot of times that credit doesn't come towards DC United. It's like, oh, they yeah. accidentally won. Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, but in this case, it was like, no, the, the, the supposedly more modern, uh, more fashionable coach got out Fox by somebody who managed to get him off of his game, um, and his team off of his game. And so, um, there has to be some, I mean, we don't want that to always be the case. We don't want United to constantly win games by making it ugly and just being better at, uh, mud ball than, uh, their opponent. But, you know, when you're looking at either, four points after four home games or seven points after uh, four home games, you'll take the seven um, yeah. and you'll Especially try and get better. Yeah. yeah. You'll try and get better next week. And hopefully that's the, the, you know, the next step is let's get back to, let's move towards playing the soccer that this team is capable of. One choice Ben Olsen will have to make next week is who to start in that defensive midfield spot. Marcelo has been the incumbent for the last couple of years he was suspended against NYCFC and Jared Jeffrey stepped in and had probably his best performance of 2017 so far in that role. Marcelo hasn't looked great. That said, his best performance was in the game that got him suspended uh, and, and should have seen him have a red card. Except for that play, he was much better than he had been uh, all year. So, Ben, who do you want to see start in that spot with the knowledge that Hashtag start Durkin is not going to happen. Chris Durkin. I took that off the table already. I would love to see Durkin, but I don't think it's it's going to happen. I'm pretty sure he's going to be down a lot closer to you in Richmond. That's where he's yeah. been all year. Yeah, he's, he's not very far from me. Um, I think I want to see Marcelo. Uh, I, I know Jared Jeffrey played well, but that's not his position. And I mean, I think what he gave in that game is pretty close to his peak. Whereas uh, what Marcelo has showed so far this year is nowhere close to his peak. And I, I know he's old, uh, but his his problems have not been that much of uh, speed of foot or, or speed of body. It's been speed of mind. And I think he can figure that out. I don't think he's that bad. And I think his ceiling, even at this point, is still higher than Jared Jeffrey's ceiling is. So... At least for now, at least for this week. If he has another awful week or two, then definitely just put him on the bench and don't let him off or put him not even on the 18 and, and don't let him off. But I think he still deserves one or two more weeks to just to see if he can get back to what he showed in uh, in 2016. Jason, where do you land on this? Uh, I agree with Ben. Um, I think he hit the nail on the head by bringing up the fact that this was Jeffrey playing pretty much as good as he's going to play in that role, um, which is it, it's important that he you know stepped his performance up and delivered um, you know to the best of his ability in a position that we've we've seen is not really good for him. Um, but that said, um, you know we're not going to see that improve, I don't think, and that position still needs to be better than it was. Um, I also I'm you know as Ben was talking, I was looking up some some of the defensive stuff, and I'm noticing that. A week after Sarva or Marcelo had like half of the central midfield recoveries, maybe more than half, um, and outdid Derek or almost outdid Derek Jones and uh, Madunian in all by himself. Um, this week we had Acosta putting in six recoveries, Harks had eight, and Jeffrey had eight. Um, so it kind of forced um, Jeffrey being in there kind of forced the other central midfielders to 
focus a little more on winning loose balls and, and recovering possession, which takes them a little bit out of their normal uh, groove. And I think it showed didn't it didn't really affect Lucho at all, who had a really good game. It did affect Harks, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. Having having who that drop back play. a lot deeper than he had. Right. And his you know, he he wasn't as accurate with his passing. Um, he was having to, you know, he was able to adapt, uh, but not at a particularly high level. It was just, you know, he did enough. Um, and so I, I, I would rather see that position go to someone that doesn't need to be supported as much from Lucho and from Harks. Um, but that said, I think Jeffrey did enough to at least keep himself in the conversation, uh, if it comes up again. Um, if something happens with Marcelo while Vincent, I mean, we don't know exactly how long it is before Rob Vincent is back. Um, but at least Jeffrey did enough to keep the team within, uh, shouting distance. I said before the game that he had to have at least an adequate performance for United to, to have a chance to win. And I think he did have an adequate performance and United ended up getting a win. Um, but yeah, I think Marcelo showed in against Philadelphia, he showed that he's making strides towards what we, what we need him to be and, you know, being at his best. So, um, I think he'll return. I don't think it'll be too much of a surprise to anyone when he returns in the lineup, uh, against New York. He just has to keep his head a little bit because New York has Felipe and everyone knows Felipe is a dirtbag uh, who will do anything to try and cheat you out of your goods and services. So, um, and this is a commonly held opinion across players in MLS, as we yeah. learned from a sports illustrated poll was, <laughs> earlier this spring. Yeah. Um, where he was cited as other than Ozzy Alonso, um, the player who goes too far, I think, quote unquote, but uh, I think Alonso is more likely to injure you. Um, yes. Whereas Felipe is more likely to lie and cheat and dive and fake injuries and uh, run his mouth. Um, and if you're uh, Fabian Espindola, also injury. Or, or, yeah, outright kick you moments into the game. Um, yeah. yeah, so Marcelo's uh, got to watch out for that because Felipe is going to be going after him. Because, I, I mean, if you're playing DC United, you know that the most likely player to lose his head on the team right now is Marcelo, slightly ahead of Lucho. Um, and then pretty much everyone else is pretty far behind uh, in those yeah. ranks. I, I'm i inclined to agree. I think Marcelo should get the start, which if you had told me I'd be saying that two or three weeks ago, I'm not sure I would have believed you. Um, but against NY, or against the Red Bulls high press, I, I really don't trust Jared Jeffrey yeah. on the ball in that yeah. spot. You need and, and Marcelo wasn't good enough early in the year. I think he... I think he can step up in this, especially with a week's rest. Uh, he better, which which also characterized the situation coming into the Philly game. Mm -hmm. So, I think with a week's rest, uh, forced or otherwise, uh, I I'm, I would put Marcelo in this one and um, hope that that Chris Durkin just keeps putting in really good performances for the kickers, so that you can bring him up sooner than later. Uh, last thing I want to talk about before we, we switch over to talk more fully about the Red Bulls is Nick DeLeon, who does seem to be getting his feet under him at right back. Looked pretty good in this one, Jason. Yeah, I thought um, if you look at the uh, where New York was creating their chances from, they created one chance from the left flank, and it was deep on the left flank. Um, and it was like it was Ronald Matarita crossing from virtually out of bounds. Um, and 40 something yards from goal. So they weren't able to get around him, even though they had, you know, Matarita is a, is a generally influences games with his attacking play coming up the left side. Um, with Rodney Wallace sort of playing, uh, 
left forward, sort of a second forward, pushing up a lot. Um, De Leon had a lot on his plate in this game. Maxi Morales goes wherever he pleases. Uh, David Villa drifts left of center a lot of times. All of that was going on, and they couldn't get anything going uh, anywhere near his general position. So that's a, a great sign for him. Um, I think he ended up having six interceptions during the game as well. Um, I, of course, closed the tab before I, uh, I I would have had that in front of me, so now I'm going off of memory. Um, but six, I think. Um, but still a pretty good sign overall that um, mentally he's able to uh, think ahead and, and get ahead of the game where he's not just having to use um, his physical strength or his, uh, his uh, you know, ability to turn and sprint um, to deal with things. He's not, he's not having to play, uh, recovery soccer. He's having to actually, he's actually able to see what's coming and get ahead of the game, uh, and, and shut down a team that is really difficult to play against when you're talking about the mental side. Um, NYCFC is one of the smartest teams in terms of their players in the entire league. And the fact that he was able to not even really be exposed at all, uh, says a lot to his development there. And, um, if he keeps playing like this, I, I think there's going to be no, we're not going to be talking about the De Leon experiment or his conversion, him as a conversion project. If he can put in games like this for another month or two, we just have to accept that the guy is a right back now and he's just adapted at in, an incredible rate because we're, we're not even at 10 games of him playing right back as a professional yet. I think we're at like eight or nine. Um, so that's, yeah. that's ridiculous that he's able to, he's been able to get, uh, to the point that he could play this well against a team like, and uh, like a specifically a team like NYCFC, um, to play that keep, well against them is big. And keep Sean Franklin on the bench, who is an actual natural right back. Though we did see that defensive sub. Um, yeah, but that's late in the game after uh, two games of daily on starting. Right, right, and and it was purely based on just adding defensive minded players and getting uh, a little more defensive in the midfield. Um, mm-hmm. Which was also interesting that that Olsen saw with one nothing that um, shoring things up was the right course at the time, and it it proved to be correct because United had from the moment of that sub, I think it was a 59th minute sub that was might have been their most solid stretch of the second half was from that sub until um, they got the goal uh, through Lucho. Um, so yeah, I, I think there was a little bit of uh, reading reading the game and accepting that you know, you do have to shore things up rather than try and play for that second goal, thinking like, all right, let's make sure we don't give up the lead, you know, at the very least. And the fact that it turned into a 2 nothing lead is is kind of a bonus, but um, it's a it's a nice problem to have to be able to bring Franklin in and then shift DeLeon into the midfield when you need to. And that's it for this game against NYCFC. 2-1 win for DC United. Hooray! <laughs> uh, there's a big log jam in the Eastern Conference. Um a bunch of teams on seven points. One of those is the New York Red Bulls, who DC United will be paying a visit to this weekend. And we're going to preview that with Jason Iapico from Once a Metro right after this. Stick around. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will make the familiar trek up the Acela Corridor this Saturday for a visit to Red Bull Arena and the first Atlantic Cup matchup of 2017. Jason Iapico runs our sister site, Once a Metro, and is here to help us preview it. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Uh, Side note, I'm no longer in charge of onceametro.com. Okay. I officially officially stepped down over a year ago. (laughs) Okay, well... This shows how much I'm keeping up with the the on, the, the goings on up up yeah, there. Honestly, uh, you you're still associated with the site. site. I I think your your listeners would question your uh, your allegiance. So I yeah. think you're good. <laughs> well, anyway, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am drinking a beer by the name of Saint Peter's Cream Stout uh, from Suffolk, uh, United Kingdom. The reason I'm drinking it though is because when I went to the liquor store and I was looking for something to drink, and I saw this bottle. Now, most beer bottles are a circle, for the most part. This one is oval-shaped, almost like a bottle of Bacardi or Captain, like the smaller bottles you would buy. I was like, huh, I don't care what this beer is. I'm curious because of the bottle. <laughs> so I literally bought it because of the bottle. Should, should, should I tell my story about cream ale? No. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> no. We will we will use that in a future what are you drinking if you drink cream ale. <laughs> it, it's, it's a very pro-Richmond story. Then we will definitely wait. Shocking. <laughs> Instead, we will talk to uh, Jason about his his Red Bulls. Specifically, what's the deal with this four two 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 that that <laughs> that Jesse Marsh has been been running out? He tried it at the beginning of last year. It didn't work. He tried it at the beginning of this year, and so far, I think the the consensus seems to be that it hasn't been working. This is a formation that's really similar to what. Red Bull Salzburg and RB Leipzig, don't call them Red Bull, uh, have been Passing have been doing. Board. Is is this a command from on high in in Austria, or is this something Jesse Marsh really thinks can work? Uh, if if you ask Jesse, I'm pretty sure he would not tell you that it was a command from on high. But I feel um, all the evidence seems to point to it. Um, Austin Fido and I can't Juan. I can't remember his one win. I think. Uh, two years ago when Jesse Marsh came to Red Bulls had this series of stories uh, that we had dubbed Rothball because there was no better name for it. So if you look at the Red Bulls, the New York Red Bulls, Salzburg, and Le- Leipzig, you'll notice that they all play an attacking, uh, a high-pressing style play. That is not unusual, honestly, because a lot of teams play high-press. But it's the fact that all three teams do it in the same way and do it in terms of transfer windows the same way, do it in terms of positioning the same way. 
the the way it's supposed to work is that the system's really fluid. So if you have a player on the left wing, he could shift to the right wing at any given time and then go right back to the left wing. It's mo- most most fans think teams play in a static. I'm a left winger. I have to be on the left wing all the time. I might drift into the middle, but I never leave the left hand side of the field. But if you look at the Red Bulls, for the most part, their players are almost anywhere except for the defenders. And even then, the defenders, if they're anywhere, they're more in the middle than anywhere else. Um. So we, so I forget which one of the guys actually predicted this, but they said in 2015, like halfway through the season, like Salzburg is doing this, Leipzig is doing this. The Red Bulls are probably going to go to a four-two-two-two formation. And sure enough, in the preseason last year, they did. The reason they went away from last year is because it wasn't working, and Jesse Marsh needed to to win games because, you know, playoffs and all that stuff. So what happens while well, you get more players that could play in that formation and then you try to get in this year and we're in a sort of a similar situation where the Rebels aren't doing what they needed to do. And I, I think, honestly, a big part of this is Dax McCarty not being here because he was such a stalwart in front of the defense to help them out that if you took his presence away, it just kind of – everything seems to kind of collapse because of him. But it's the. I think the problem is just that I can't. I can't tell if it's, we're too fluid or we don't have the right people. Because Sasha Kleshin spent way too much time on the wings, and for the most part of this year, um, I, I think Grella being hurt has been part of that too. Because as much as he bounced around before landing at the Red Bulls, he has pretty good technique that has gotten one or many legends in MLS, uh, especially on NYCFC. Um, and then the back line is, you know, whatever. It's just really weird that they've instituted this, they tried to institute this formation for the second straight year in a row now. Um, most of our starters are back from year one. Like we've had actually a very consistent starting 11. If you look at year to year and yet we see, we can't seem to figure this out either. If either that it doesn't work for us because of the players or just the players don't seem to get it. And now, granted, they did go back to the four-two-three-one last year, so you could say, well, they started with it, but then left and came back, and it's that whole big mess. But it seems like this coming circling back to the original question. It seems like this is supposed to be something the Red Bulls are supposed to be doing because it's part of the system that the overall Red Bull organization wants to put in place. And for some reason, maybe it's endless rules. Maybe it's just the players we have. We just can't seem to do it the way the two European clubs can. So you mentioned Dax McCarty and how, how his loss has contributed to this. Who's supposed to be replacing him next to Felipe in this lineup? Um, whether it's a four, two, two, two or a four, two, three, one or whatever formation you, you might run out. Who's supposed to be replacing Dax McCarty and how have they been doing? Uh, it was supposed to be Sean Davis. Cause when Dax was out with an injury for, I think it was like four to six weeks in the middle of last season, he came in and actually did a really good job of filling in as a starter. And after, I think it was like the first four games this year, he just looked out of his element. And then Tyler Adams came back from uh, U.S. Youth National Team uh, and stepped in and has looked almost like the, the best player on the team at, at times. And so right now it seems like Tyler Adams is going to be the guy. I mean, he's only 18 years old. He's going to miss time later this year with, uh, I think it's the U.S. under 17 World Cup. No, 
under 20 World Cup, I believe. Um, so, probably see Sean Davis again, but right now it looks like Tyler Adams is going to be that guy that's supposed to be filling in. And while he's good, we're still seeing growing pains. That the broadcast of the game on yesterday, Taylor Schroeman kept saying for a good like five minutes, like Felipe is not doing things because he's getting used to Tyler Adams. And I think that's part of the reason why we struggled recently because we keep changing players. But long term, I think Tyler Adams might be that guy that fills in for Dax McCarty and then unfortunately probably leaves in a few years like Matt Miaska did because MLS <laughs> can't hold on to top tier talent. But I, I think and, and Felipe is probably also looking to flop whenever he can. So he, that, that's taking up too much of his brain power. I mean, he's Brazilian. Come on. It's just, that's, that, that's their nature, right? So, uh, that, that's a broad generalization. I know. Uh, but no, uh, Tyler Adams seems to be the guy that is going to, at this point, going to, uh, take McCarty's spot. Hopefully that works out. If not, the Red Bulls are in a deep hole in midfield because we don't really have anybody else that is even close to Dax's level of uh, keeping that midfield possession in play. Uh, Jason, I was noticing right before, I, I've been keeping track of set-piece goals because I decided to give myself more work to do uh, for no financial gain. Um, and with the goal, the only goal in Sunday's game was on a corner kick. And it means that the Red Bulls, who normally are an elite set-piece team at both ends of the field, uh, because they spend so much time working on it, they've actually, the only team to have given up as many set-piece goals this early in the season is Minnesota United, who have probably conceded goals to all four of us as well as actual soccer teams by this point. Um, is that a major concern, or do you think it's just a blip for them right now? Uh, at this point, I'd say it's more of a blip, because if you look at the back lines that have played uh, I don't think you can count two consecutive games with the same four back line. Mm. Um, Damian Perrinell and Aurelian Collin have seemed to, at this point, almost become a rotation based on whoever is the healthiest when game time comes around. Yeah. Um, Aaron Long is, while he was a standout in USL, that's USL, not MLS. It's a different level that he's at right now. Um, Kamar Lawrence is a great player, but the problem is he's had, he's had an injury history problem and at the beginning of the preseason, he picked something up and didn't go to play with Jamaica, so he's probably still, I'm guessing, dealing with a little bit and is causing problems. And then Salzizo, and when my podcast comes on later this week, I'm just going to blast him because I am absolutely done with him. He's a midfielder converted to defender, and he is not any good at this he point. Got, he got uh, completely torn apart by Luis Robles for uh, an error late in that game. Um well, Robles came like 20 yards out of goal to scream at him and actually to like sidestep the referee to continue uh, <laughs> going at Zizo for what was a pretty terrible mistake. Well, yeah, so that so for your listeners who haven't seen the game, uh, I forget what it was. It was late in the game and Orlando was countering off of a corner and Kyle Laren was waiting at midfield. So he was onside with running basically in line with Sal Zizo and Zizo instead of just staying in the middle of the field and cutting off a possible uh, outlet pass went after Laren and then Laren's just like oh thank you I'm just gonna beat you around the, you yeah. know beat around he, you real quick Zizo uh, ended up on the go ground take, go take your go take your keeper one on one and thankfully Robles is Robles and stopped it but I mean that's just I mean I could tell I'm not a soccer player but I could tell that was the wrong move like it's just so, and that's know. been a spot I, 
that's been a rotation spot too, because Connor Lade's got a couple starts already this year as well, right? Uh, I think once against Houston. I'm not completely sure. Okay. I, th- I know. I think Connor Lade was one of those players that end up getting loaned to USL, or mm. quote loans, because we know loans are day to day in USL for most yeah. part. Um, yeah, but so we don't really have a great right back. Um, I mean, Zizo is okay at times, but he's a, a midfielder who was converted. Uh, Lade is okay, but he's short. So when you have to deal with corner kicks, like that's not a good a good height for him. I I believe I'm taller than him actually, which makes which makes me feel sad because I'm five foot eleven, and if I'm taller, yeah, you're definitely taller than Connor Lade. Yeah, if I'm taller. Then a guy who plays on the defensive line, he's five seven. If I'm t- taller than him, then that's not a good thing. I, I think he's 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 sports five seven. I think my my eight month old baby is taller than Connor Lade is. Yeah, he's he's probably like a real life five 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 four or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess my other question will go to the because I was going to ask you about the center backs, but uh, you kind of uh, covered it, all that ground uh, for me. Um, so I guess I'll go to the other end of the field. Um. Bradley Wright Phillips looked a lot more lively by himself up front uh, against Orlando because they switched back. Um, they got away from the the four two 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 for the game. Um, do you think there's something to? I know Taylor Twelman was talking about how he saw uh, Wright Phillips before the game, and he seemed to have uh, he seemed to be much more optimistic in general um, and uh, more high energy. Do you think there's something to him just playing like being the kind of forward that needs to be up there by himself? Or is it just that the Red Bulls haven't found a good partner for him yet? Maybe a little bit of both. Um, I mean, so Wright Phillips, since he came to the team has basically been mostly been, well, sorry about that. Apparently my phone decided to start playing music randomly. Yeah. Um, He's been basically a target forward. Um, there's times where he's been able to drop back and become a playmaker, but for the most part, he's been the guy that would go sit on the on the edge of the six yard box and wait for service. Um, being in a two four system, that means he can't do that as much, or if he is, that the other guys are too. And and part of the problem with two four system was when Derek Etienne Jr. is playing, he would run into the same channel as Ray Phillips and basically allow defense to collapse on him. So maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe the two four system it could work. You just need a better partner, which again injuries because we get Gobranson from, uh, I think it was Salzburg, and then like two weeks later he's hurt. Um, Derek Etienne Jr. started the year, and then Gobranson came in, and then it's back to Etienne Jr. Like there's no, pretty much anywhere on the field there's been no consistency in in lineup this year. So which plays a big factor as anybody would know in how a team performs. And especially at a position like forward where you need to be in a rhythm, it just it doesn't help. So maybe going back to this one striker system is good for him because it means he's the guy up front and he can do what he needs to and run wherever he wants to. And I don't know. Uh, hopefully this is the key. It depends on service, which has not been the strong suit for the Red Bulls this year. So, Jason... Uh- a couple of uh, MLS teams this year who have had USL, like true USL2 teams, have tried to mine the depth of those USL2 teams and uh, gone, on, all, gone all in on that. And at least two teams in MLS, it, 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 the, the players that they've tried to double down on this year on their 
uh, first team haven't gone so well. I'm thinking of the LA Galaxy and your New York Red Bulls. Uh, do you think it's just an over-reliance on the USL players? Do you think it's uh, a Jesse Marsh thing? Or do you think it's just that they need to just come good and given a month or two more, they're going to be lighting it up in MLS? Uh, I think for the Red Bulls, it's mostly time because you have to play. It's one thing USL because especially with these MLS uh, own sides in USL is the the lineup constantly changes. And the one thing the Red Bulls have done is, hey, they've made sure that for the most part, the USL side is practicing with the MLS side. So in theory, stepping up from USL to MLS shouldn't be that big of a transition. But practice is no substitute for game experience with a player. Uh, being able to to read their sort of thought process subliminally, you know, in the middle of a game, it just one of those things you just can't do in practice. You need the, the game to kind of learn that. And I mean, if I wouldn't say the USL experience is a total failure for the Ripples right now, because Aaron Long has been probably the best defender that we've had. There's very few times I've heard his name called, and for the def, for defender, especially a central defender. That's something that you can that speaks volumes, um, and then the the thing is the other guys we brought up and started using Etienne Junior as a forward, so if he's not scoring, he, most people think he's a failure. Tyler Adams is a midfielder who's only really started playing recently, uh, and you know there's that whole chemistry thing. So I don't for the Red Bulls, I wouldn't say it's a total failure. I think the struggle so far have been more about the system and how it's being implemented and how it's the players are adapting to it and that kind of thing. Um, Cause I, I, I could tell you the Red Bulls USL side is trying to play almost the exact same way to make the guys plug and play. I mean, there's a reason Sean Davis stepped in last year and was able to do really well as a starter. And it's because he had that experience in USL with the kind of exact same system. So I think it's just more about clicking with the teammates that are there on the field when it comes to, actual game situations. Yeah, and you you may not be able to answer this because the Red Bull 2 doesn't have the situation, but do you think do you think there's it, it just comes to my mind because obviously I have the uh, Rich, Richmond Kickers uh, experience which is very different, but do you think there is a significant difference between the experience that uh MLS Lonies get in a MLS 2 team versus a uh independent, regular, loney in USL experience? I know that's a little bit of a tangent, but it just came to my mind. I would say just going off of what I've learned from stories coming out about the Red Bulls, absolutely. I mean, in a DC Richmond Kickers you know, kind of situation, I imagine DC doesn't have much say in terms of who the coach of Richmond is, how they'll play, how their players are used, where when the Red Bulls... The USL coach literally has an office near Jesse Marsh's. So at any time they can go and talk to each other about Marsh can go and say, Hey, listen, we're going to do, you know, this kind of movement with our, uh, midf- our wide midfielder. We want him to be able to pinch in at a certain point. We want him to be able to get the ball, you know, as close to the goal line as possible, that kind of thing. And, and I really wish I can remember the guy's name off the top of my head right now. I, and I can't remember his name. Um, but the USL side could start practicing that and get those guys ready for it. And the the USL and MLS sides practice almost constantly. It's not like they're two separate teams 
where the two separate philosophies, you don't know how the players are going to be used. I would, I would say absolutely that, that at least from a theoretical standpoint, that is a much better situation for the Red Bulls because they get to control how their players are used, how they're being developed and how they'll fit into MLS if they were to get to that point. Sure. But it, it just sounds like they aren't there yet. Well, I mean, no, I, I mean, the USL partnership was at third year right now. So it's kind of, it's still kind of a blossoming thing. The Red Bulls, I know, had been had been one of the teams at the forefront of this expansion into USL, but until that you know actually goes through and then get a team up and running, it's you know it's hard to kind of get those players into that mindset. And you're starting to see a little bit of it. Etienne Junior, uh, Aaron Long, Tyler Adams, having that time in USL, I has made them ready for MLS. And now it's just like I've said before. Just a matter of getting used to playing with the guys on the MLS side. Okay, and then my uh, my other question is is back with the MLS the MLS team, and it's a player that DC United has a interesting history with, and I still don't understand why he's still with New York Red Bulls. But but Guns Oliveron, why why what why how what? Yes, those are my questions. They're just adverbs, basically. Uh, and they're all good questions, actually, because <laughs> so he was brought in as a quote designated player, and I say that because by the strictest definition he is, but by salary alone he is not. It's kind of funny, actually. His... But by transfer fee, yes, that's the that was the thing. This yeah. Transfer fee get added in in MLS, and that's why he's a designated player. Um, so he was brought in in the in March's first year, and so at the time. People thought he's being brought in as a midfielder, but if you look at how he was going to be used, he was being brought in to be Wright Phillips' strike partner in the four-two-two-two whatever formation. So he was supposed to be a second forward, and then in uh, his second year with the team, or so last year, he got hurt early in the year, and just kind of, you know, once he came back, the team was in a rhythm, and Marsh is rightfully so going. I'm not going to change this because we're winning games. So we'll wait till the end of the year. We'll integrate him during the preseason. Preseason comes along. They don't integrate. Everything's looking good. Uh, the first uh, CCL matchup against Vancouver, he looked good. Even though he didn't score, he was looking really good. And then the second CCL leg against Vancouver, he gets hurt. And we're back to square one again because injuries are like that. Now, right now, he's apparently in Argentina. Is it Argentina? I think, I think Argentina is where he's from. And yeah. Apparently yeah. he's back there for medical treatment. So the question is, why is he in Argentina of all places yep. for medical treatment when he could be here in the United States? In New York. Yeah. I mean, some of the best med- med- medicine around is in New York City. And, and if not, there's what? Like Philadelphia, Philadelphia Baltimore, Boston. Yeah, exactly. We actually, DC, old DC fans will remember this exact same thing happening with Marcelo Gallardo, where he had a muscular problem and went back to Argentina for a while for medical treatment. And I'm putting it in scare quotes, um, which was really just, he didn't, I mean, he was bored and injured. So he just went home to hang out, um, which is not what you want when you're paying uh, a designated player salary towards a guy. Uh, so that didn't end well for DC. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to end well with Verone. No, uh, probably not. And honestly, if they get rid of him at this point, I would say it's not a bad thing. Um, only because there are younger guys there that, given experience, could probably be, say, 75% of the promise that he had. So, 
as long as things work out, I not I have no problem with him leaving. Um, and honestly, that means less that that means less of a salary being paid out to somebody. So, as a DC fan, I do think it's a little funny, ironic, coincidental that um, the Red Bulls are having trouble similar to Gallardo with Verone um, when Gallardo was the backup plan for for a different Verone that United failed <laughs> to get. Um, well, not the backup plan so much as the desperation signing. But that's neither here nor there. Time is uh, a flat circle. Someone told me that on a TV show. Verone is the yellow king? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> ben, don't do that to me. Uh, Jason, when your Red Bulls take the field on Saturday, it will have been over a month since their last win, a one nothing victory over the Rapids. Um, is any desperation starting to seep into that locker room at this point? Or do you think that they are, are still kind of pretty even keeled and cool and, and just waiting for the results to come their way? Uh, from what I can tell, it seems like they're pretty even keeled. I mean, the, the Red Bulls went one and six to start last year and then ended up first in the Eastern conference. So early season doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fail. Um, but I will say that I think the fan base is starting to grow a little more trepidatious. I know last week I got we got an email on our show that basically blasted almost anybody on the field against Houston. Granted, that was a four four one loss. So I mean, there's there, the first four goals we gave up in like thirty something games. So I mean, that's that's kind of be expected. But what bothers me and. I know at some point you guys are going to ask me how to beat the Red Bulls. It's the next question, in fact. Because <laughs> you ask me that question every time I come on the show. So that's we ask everybody that question. How do, how do we beat your team? Uh, here's the simple solution. Don't give up, don't give up an own goal. Because <laughs> literally the only two games the Red Bulls have won this year have been because the other team has scored for us. I think Bill Hamid is on that. Hey, if Bill Hamid wants to contribute another goal to the Red Bulls, I'm all for it. I mean, without Rafa Marquez there to counteract it um, in the same game, I'm not sure it's going to happen this time. I thought it was Roy Miller when that happened. Oh, we love Roy yeah. Miller, too. Yeah, Roy, we lo- yeah, it was a Roy Miller own goal. Okay. Uh, Marquez got the red card, the inexplicable, yes. please send me off, I'm tired of playing red card. Roy Miller is still around. He's just been mistaken for a good defender by the Timbers for reasons unknown. Oh, he's with the Timbers? No, I thought he was still in Central America. No, no, he came back to the Timbers. Timbers Timbers acquired him from Saprissa and let him stay for their Champions League run, and now he's back. He actually scored a goal uh, recently, which is absurd because he's Roy Miller. Was it off a free kick? Because that'd be more absurd. (laughs) It wasn't from a direct free kick. He he glanced in a header off of a free kick. It was not a direct kick. If it was a direct kick, it would have been too much to bear, I think, for anybody. I still, still, uh, at least once every six months, I go back to that. Roy Miller, Thierry Henry, free kick, and just watch that on YouTube or whatever, just to delight my heart. And also I the uh, watch it ever again. And also the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Kenny Cooper uh, penalty save. Uh, yeah, I have to watch that too. The the, re, the retaken penalty save on yeah. top of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. <sighs> yeah, I remember that all too well. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was hoping uh, so. That just means you need to drink more. Okay, drink more? That's, I can do that. Yeah. All right. So other than not scoring on themselves, what should DC United be doing um, against this for triple two of of Red Bulls? 
Well, you probably won't see that. You'll probably see the four two three one because they reverted back to that against Orlando. Um, uh, I'm gonna basically echo your coach who says last year, just invite pressure and wait for your chance because it'll come. It's as simple as that. The Red Bulls are still in a high pressing attack. They don't really have a plan B at this point. Uh, well, they had a plan B and that was a formation change. They don't have a plan C. So, um, basically, if DC waits out enough, they'll probably get one or two chances and nick a goal and can walk away with a victory. Unless for some reason the offense decides to show up all of a sudden, then you may actually have have a problem. But I doubt that's going to happen this week. So, All right. And on that optimistic take, Jason, why don't you tell us where our listeners can find you online? So I used to write for onceometro.com, but that is where my podcast, The Red Bull Rant, is. Um, you can also find it on Twitter at Red Bull Rant. And uh, me personally, I am on Twitter at Dr. Stooge, although I pretty much haven't tweeted in like six months. So I won't see much of it anymore. This this thing called work has sprung up, which takes a lot of my time now. So I hear Nobody that. should tweet. Everyone just yeah, a, 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 a bit of advice. Never tweet. Rule, rule one of the internet, don't tweet. Rule two, see rule one. Yep, exactly. I just sent a tweet. <laughs> what was it, don't tweet? Because that'd be perfect. No. <laughs> anyway, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu, where we do tweet, and black at blackandredu. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or the podcatcher of your choice. The Internet Most, Archive. Also the Internet Archive. Uh, mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Uh, we really appreciate it when you do that, and that's really the best way to uh, get more people to listen to us. So please do that. Uh, thanking the other Jason one more time, I'm Adam Taylor, and for the real Jason and the real Ben, we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. A fake goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, evil Jason. <laughs>